Welcome to Activate Church Podcast and thanks for listening. We hope this message helps you and we pray that God speaks to you through this week's message. I want to tell you the story about a guy named Peter in the Bible. Peter is one of my favorite people in the Bible. I think he's hilarious and I don't know what he looks like, but I picture him being slightly overweight and laughing all the time. I don't know why. That's just how I imagine it. I know that Mark was able to outrun him when they thought that Jesus has resurrected, so he's not as fit as the other disciples, right? So I don't know everything about him, but that's how I imagine him in my mind. Don't take this from me. It's how I see him. But here is this guy who is a fisherman and he is a fisherman turned apostle. What an incredible transition that would be. Just a guy that runs his own business and then becomes an apostle. But before he was that, he was a disciple and he followed Jesus as Jesus' disciple for three years. And I think that's pretty amazing because a lot of people might not want to wear the cost of ministry, but when Jesus said, hey, come quit your job as a fisherman and just come follow me, he said, absolutely. And so he just dropped his nets and they went and and he followed Jesus. And Jesus is walking with his uh, disciples one day and he says to them, hey, guys, so who do people say that I am? And all the disciples are there, all 12 of them, and they say to him, well, people say many things. Some say that you are John the Baptist. Other people say that you are Elijah. And others still say that you're the prophet Jeremiah. And then Jesus says, uh-huh, okay. And he says this question. He asks a question that I think is unbelievably important. And it's the most important question that you'll ever be asked in your lifetime. And you will have to answer this question in one way or another. And he says, but who do you say that I am? And before all the other 11 uh, disciples can ask, Peter says, you are the Christ. In other words, he's saying, you are the Messiah. And Jesus says this to him. He said, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. In other words, he's saying, you didn't get this in a book. You didn't hear this from anyone else. What you just said is absolutely amazing. And it has been revealed to you by my Father in heaven that I am the Christ. And he says to him, you are Peter. Now this is interesting because his name is actually Simon. Now Simon in the original language, it actually sounds like a a pebble and Peter sounds like rock. And so he says, you are Peter. In other words, he's saying there is a transition from who you've been and what you saw before you had that revelation. And now I'm calling you Peter. You are a rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not be prevail against it. And man, Peter was so excited about this. I mean, like, honestly, Peter was unbelievably excited about being called a rock. It's like, it almost sounds like it could be an insult. It's like, honestly, man, like you are like a rock. And, and, and Peter's like, yes, he's so excited about this. Jesus called me a rock. And, uh, and, and, and the moment that this happened for Peter, it would have been this amazing, um, can you imagine for a minute, Jesus saying to you that upon this rock, 
I will build my church. And just so you know, he's not saying that he's going to build it on Peter, but more the revelation that Peter had. He says, upon this rock of revelation, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Peter's like, oh my gosh, it's me. I'm the rock. He changed my name to rock. He's going to build it on, on the rock. I'm the first guy with the revelation. Like He's getting seriously excited about it. Now, you don't read this in the text that you've got here, but in the original language, the moment that Peter said this, he said, you are the Messiah. He said, you're the rock. He just walked straight out and doves flew out from behind him, like right there. Doves flew out from behind him. It was like the heavens opened and suddenly there was a, a, a choir of angels and they were singing. It was like trumpets and ah, like it was amazing. Like for, for Peter, at least anyway, the rest of the disciples were like, whatever, man, you know. But for Peter, he's like, man, I want you to know I'm your rock. And, and he was very excited about this. And he starts to make a whole heap of promises to Jesus because he's like... I'm your boy, like I'm your rock, don't forget, you called me rock, right? So you thought that Dwayne Johnson was the rock, but there was a rock before the rock, and Peter is that rock. So anyway, uh, I'm going to read to you a passage of Scripture, and in this passage, we see the rock, Peter. I'm just going to call him the rock, okay? We see the rock in action. He says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. And Peter said to him, Lord, listen in. Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Now that is a pretty epic promise for Peter to make. And I want to preach the message to you about what comes next. Because he's made some big promises here. But what comes next? Next, have you ever had some plans that just didn't work out? Have you ever had that? Have you ever had plans that just didn't work out? Like you thought things were going to go a certain way and they just did not go that way. And it's, I mean, I have, I make plans all the time. Like I was thinking about this this morning. I'm, when I see Instagram and I'm scrolling through, I see these beautiful pictures of families with small children and they're all happy in the photo. And they are traveling somewhere in the car and everyone's happy, right? But in my house, it doesn't always work that way. And in fact, getting into the car, or we show you the photo when they're all happy, it's all smiles, right? But getting into the car, because we were late, there is all kinds of yelling. I'm like, get your coat, where's your jacket? Like, where are your shoes? Like, you have so many, you can't find one. Yes, I'll tie your shoes up. You're making us late. And you, see, you, don't, you don't see that on Instagram, do you? You'll never see that on Instagram. Can you imagine just like an angry family saying, this is real life for us, you know? You don't see that. It's actually not what you see, but you see a picture and you're like, oh, that's what I want. That is my plan, but it doesn't work out the way that you planned it. In fact, I discovered this is that being a parent, just being a parent doesn't always work out the way that you planned either. I mean, I feel like this. If people honestly told you, and I'm looking out tonight and I see that there are a lot of people that haven't had babies, so I'm gonna freak you out right now, but if we really told you what it's like in that room, you may not have them, okay? I'm serious, I've been in that room three times and I tell you, you don't see anyone taking a selfie during labor, do you? 
No one's clicking and saying, ah, like you don't see that because they're not going to show you. You know what you get? You get the photo afterwards that's all smiles and cuddles and you go, parenthood is beautiful. Want to bet? I'll show you what it really looks like. You just think it looks amazing, right? I'll show you some reality, right? And then you'll really know what it's all about, you know? But this is what it's like. I gotta tell you, I, I went to a prenatal class. And in my prenatal class, they had these, uh, they would teach you and speak to you about, you know, what it's like to be a parent. And so I had this uh, 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 class and they, and they were running us through what to expect. And in the middle of the class, this is what they say. They say, now, I want you to remember something. Don't shake your baby. I'm like, did you just say that? Because I'm paying for this class. I want to know how I'm going to go to a class where some of the best advice you've got to give me is don't shake my baby. What kind of person do you think I am? that I would shake my back. Who, what, what kind of parent needs to be told in a prenatal class, you shouldn't shake your baby? All right, so three months later, it's 2 a.m. And my son Isaac, my son Judah, who was our firstborn, right? He is screaming and he's not going to sleep and I'm tired, I'm sleep deprived and I'm, I'm holding him and as I'm holding him, I'm just kind of shaking him like this, you know? I'm like, come on, there you go. And I'm sort of getting, you know, trying to shake him and, and, and you know, put him to sleep. And then, you know, you start to shake a little bit and then I'm like, oh my gosh, remember your training. Because they said, don't shake your baby. But like in the midst of all, I'm like, is this shaking? I feel like I'm doing what they told me not to do. Because you know what? When I looked at the picture, when I first heard, don't shake your baby, it seemed like crazy instructions. I should have just listened to people that have gone before me. Because things don't always work out the way that you pictured them. They don't always work out the way that you planned it. And this is how I know that that's true. I have done many weddings in this church. A lot of you have been to all of them. I have been to many weddings in this church. I've done many weddings, right? But I also know that on people's wedding day, when they stand next to each other and they face each other, this is what they say. They say, I love you so much. And I promise that I will never leave you. And I'm going to be completely devoted to you, to no one else. And yet, people get divorced. And this is the thing, people still get divorced. And yet on that day, I believe that when they said their vows, when they promised each other that they absolutely meant them and they absolutely thought we will never get divorced. And yet we see in, in just in society that it still happens. You probably even know people that divorced. You may be here tonight and you actually have been divorced. And see, this is the thing, mistakes just happen. We don't plan them. <laughs> That's why they're called mistakes. But they still happen. And when you make mistakes, and you do things that you wish you didn't do, sometimes what happens after them is you get guilt. And guilt is the wake of your mistake. Guilt is the emotion that follows after you have done something that you wish you never did. Now, I know two things about you. 
I know two things about you. You are an expert at making mistakes. An expert. And you are an expert at feeling guilty. Why? Because you're human. Because every human makes mistakes. Every single person in this room, we all have one thing in common, that we're experts at making mistakes and we are experts at feeling guilty after we have made them. Now, I want you to do something with me right now. Why don't you just look around the room? Look at the people next to you, right? All right, have a look, quick look, see who's around you. Have a look at them, right? All right, now let me say something to you that may absolutely shock you. They are also human. I know, some of you took another look at that person. You said, I'm not sure about that. But I tell you something right now, from where I'm standing, they look pretty human to me. And I tell you this, they too are also experts at making mistakes and they are experts at feeling guilty. And to quote the great theologian, George Costanza, we are living in a society, people. And in a society, we have to learn how to deal with our mistakes and the mistakes of others. Now, Peter, the, uh, the, the disciple, before he's an apostle, he's trying to understand this. Let me tell you a quick story. Um, in high school, by the way, I don't celebrate this. I don't endorse this. And this is not like a, this will be a funny story when you're older, you should do what I did story. This is a please don't ever do what I did. Otherwise, some of your parents will kill me. All right, so I cheated in my year 11 physics exam. I'm not proud of it, but it happened. And the, some of you are not shocked. That's worse. Let's just keep moving. So they say, I, I can't remember all the formulas. I don't know what they say. So I figure I'm going to write all the formulas down. And they say, everybody books off the table, books off the desks, which is fine because I just put them on the floor and then I just read them from there. So whatever. So I put my books on the floor and I've got a piece of paper which has got all the formulas that I need to adequately cheat, right? So I know exactly what I'm doing because I can't remember them all. But I tell you this, I'm so glad that Jesus has the simplest formula to deal with not only your mistakes, but the mistakes of other people. It's not difficult. It's not hard to remember. You will not even need a cheat sheet for this formula. And as I said, Peter's trying to figure this out. He's trying to understand it. So he says to Jesus one day, well, how many times should I forgive somebody? As many as seven times? Now, when he says seven times, he thinks he's being exceedingly generous because in Judaism, they would forgive somebody three times because they take some verses out of the book of Amos and they say, uh, three times you forgive somebody, the fourth time you don't. So what Peter does is he takes that number three, doubles it, adds one, thinks he is exceedingly generous. And he says, what about seven times? Now he thinks he's shot to the top of the class. He's like, well, I nailed the Messiah thing, so I'm your man, right? And he, this is what he says. And Jesus says to him, no, 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 no. I say to you 70 times seven. And Peter's like, oh, you get that out of here. Are you serious? 
Jesus, have you even read, read the book of Amos? Do you know that it's actually only supposed to be like three times? Jesus, you are extreme when it comes to your views on forgiveness. You are extreme. Well, I'm supposed to forgive somebody now. Peter's a businessman, right? Because he was a fisherman. So he knows how to do addition. So he does 70 times 7, 490. All right. So you're telling me we got to forgive somebody 490 times. But on the 491st time, we can stone him, right? Jesus is like, no. You're, you're not, oh gosh, you're not getting this. All right. So Jesus says, I'm going to tell you something. And this is what comes next. Jesus gives Peter one of his greatest life hacks. And if you understand what I'm talking about tonight, this is going to change your life and revolutionize your relationships. I'm telling you, I'm not overselling it. This is amazing. And he tells him this parable. Next slide. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, let me just go ahead and call that in today's terms a zillion dollars because that's what it was like. It was absolutely unpayable. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and his children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, an absolutely repayable debt. And he found him and he owned a hundred denarii and seizing him and began to choke him and said, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went out and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. And when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported this to their master, all that had taken place. And his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in his anger, he delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from the heart. And when he said that, everyone went silent because who's gonna say anything after that? Now a parable is a story with a main point, with really one main point. And here's his point. He's saying, you got to know that your father in heaven is unbelievably forgiving. So forgiving. And the ultimate stupid move of humanity is to hold grudges against each other when we realize that the debt that, that you know, God has forgiven us of. Imagine that. We have an unpayable debt with our father in heaven but we're gonna hold grudges against each other. And what he's really saying is, is that, man, this is the ultimate stupid move that you can make in your life, is to not forgive the people that are around you. 
This is how you're going to really mess up in your relationships because he says that if you don't forgive people in your life, your Father in heaven, that he won't forgive you. Now, newsflash, you really need that. So you would do well to forgive all the people in your life and just get clear in your heart and begin to move on because if you don't, the Bible says that your Father in heaven, he's not going to forgive you. So let me tell you a story. My son Judah, I take him to school on Mondays. And last Monday, I am making his lunch for him. So I get him up in the morning and my wife Sarah, she's already gone to work. So it's just me and Judah and my daughter Eliana. And so I'm making his lunch and I'm putting it in there. I say, hey, hey man, what do you want on your sandwich? He tells me I put that in there. And then I cut up some apple to keep it healthy, okay? And I put some apple in there. And he says to me, Dad, I said, yeah. He says, can I put some biscuits in there? I said, yeah, you can put some biscuits in there. Put some biscuits. He says, all right. He goes, Dad, I've still got some lollies. He had a party on the weekend. He's like, could I put some lollies in there? I'm like, yeah, man, your mom isn't home. Yeah, that's cool, right? You put in those lollies. I've got your back, son. He finds a fun-sized Mars bar that can still fit. He says, Dad, could I put in this fun-sized Mars bar? Um, I said, does it fit? He's like, just. I said, yeah, man, you can put that fun-sized Mars bar in there. You can have that. He's like, good. So, I mean, I'm just winning. So anyway, we get to have dinner that night, and uh, my wife says to him, did you eat all your lunch today? He's like, yeah, I ate everything. And I'm like, oh, that's good, son. You ate everything in your lunch today. And then my wife says, what did dad give you? And I'm like, I'm, look, I'm looking at him and we have a moment and I'm like, don't you say what I gave you. And he says, oh, dad gave me some biscuits. And I'm like, all right, <laughs> yeah, I gave him some, just some biscuits and some lollies. And I'm like, yeah, well, they fit. Put a few lollies in there and a Mars bar. And my wife was like, really? Did you fit all that in his lunchbox? And I look at him and I'm like, you have betrayed me, son. You have sold, you sold me out. I looked after you and you have just, you threw me under the bus, right? And if this was how the way that you want to play it, it's cool, don't worry about it. Next week, you got broccoli. You, I hope you love broccoli because you got carrots and broccoli. And I don't even know if you can eat raw Brussels sprouts, but I'm going to put them in there anyway. You're going to have to eat it. You sell me out. You're going to pay for it with eating healthy food, right? He sold me out. So anyway, I had to work through those forgiveness issues with my son, you know, because he just sold me out. Now, here's the thing, right? When someone sells you out, when somebody does something to you that offends you and makes you upset, you want justice. You say, I demand justice from this moment. But that's not what Jesus taught. Actually, Jesus said, when someone sins against you, go straight to him. Now, that's how we know, by the way, that women don't sin. It says go straight to him. There's no mention of her in there. My wife was a really big supporter of that point anyway. So go straight to him and tell him his fault. Why? 
will give him an opportunity to recognize where he's gone wrong and give him the opportunity to apologize and have forgiveness so you guys can move on. What you shouldn't do is then go and take your issue and tell everyone that's willing to listen to get guidance on how you should approach the issue. No, no one believes that. No one's, let's just call it what it is. It's like this gossip, you know. So no one believes that. You don't go and tell everyone. You go straight to the person. You say, hey, listen, you did something that really offends me, right? And then if they don't listen, say, take someone and go with them and say, hey, listen, you gotta know that you're really in the wrong here and we need to fix this up and make this relationship right. And if they still don't believe, tell it to the church. But really what's happening is they're giving as many opportunities as is humanly possible for someone to be forgiven of what they've done, for someone to say that they're sorry. Now, I reckon that Peter, he hears this and he's like, oh my gosh, you are Jesus When it comes to forgiveness, you are so extreme on the issue. Your views around uh, forgiveness, I mean, really, honestly, do what we should just keep forgiving people? What if they keep doing it? Jesus is like, well, just keep forgiving them. I just keep looking out for them and just keep blessing them. And by the way, did you know that you don't need someone to say sorry to you for you to forgive them? That's a mature, a spiritually mature decision that you're able to make all on your own accord. They may never say that they're sorry, but you can still forgive them. Why should your heart be messed up? Because they've got issues. Amen. You get what I'm saying? So you just go straight to them and forgive them even if they don't say anything. So Peter's like, Jesus, oh man, you are so extreme. But since I have already had the revelation that you are the Christ, I guess that I don't have a whole lot of choices here. I'm gonna have to believe what you're saying and I guess I'm gonna have to follow you. And you think I'm making that up, but I'm not because there was a time when Jesus said, hey, if you don't eat, drink my blood and eat my flesh, uh, then you'll have no part in the kingdom. He was talking about taking communion. We did that earlier tonight. And then everyone left Jesus and he looks at the disciples and they're like, who else has the words of life? No, we're, we're, we're all right, we're gonna stick with you. You know, it's kind of like a backhanded compliment. We're, all right, well, there's no one else to go to, so I guess you're it. But you're so extreme, Jesus. He's got these issues with Jesus, how, how extreme he is about forgiveness, you know? And even though he um, keeps following Jesus, and even though he thinks he's really extreme on some of these things, and he keeps following him, he keeps making these promises. And here's one of the promises that he makes. He says, though they all will fall away from you. He says, Jesus, everyone, all the other disciples, they'll fall away from you, but me, not me. I will never fall away from you. So let's just start to add up what Peter's doing. I will die for you. I will go to prison for you. They will all fall away from you, but not me. I will never fall away from you. Every promise that he made to Jesus about not falling away from him was really a promise that He just couldn't keep. Have you ever made a promise to Jesus that you couldn't keep? Have you ever said, Jesus, I'm really sorry that I keep doing this in my life, but today is the last day I ever do that. And I'm never gonna do that again. I'm never gonna 
act that way again. I'm, I'm going to cut off that behavior right now. I'm never doing it again. I, or I'm going to start doing this. I'm going to start doing that. Have you ever made a promise to Jesus that you couldn't keep? This is exactly what Peter did when he promised all these things to him. So let me tell you the story about what happened. When he's making these promises, they're together having a meal. It's the very last meal that Jesus will have with his disciples. And right after he has that meal, they go out into the garden of Gethsemane. So Jesus is with his disciples. And he says to them, would you come? Would you pray with me? And they said, yes, we will pray for you, pray with you. But they couldn't even do that. And so... The Jewish uh, priests and elders and that, they came and they, with guards and they arrested Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane and they took him and they dragged him before the Sanhedrin, which was their religious council, to begin to give account and account for all the things that he was saying. And at that moment, where was Peter? Where was Peter to be found? He was lurking in the backgrounds. He wasn't anywhere near where the action was. Let me read to you what happened in this moment. While Jesus is being tried, it says that Peter was sitting outside the courtyard away from the action. And a servant girl, not a soldier, but a servant girl, a little girl, a little girl came up to him and said, you also were with Jesus, the Galilean. But he denied it before them all saying, I don't know what you mean. He won't even be associated with Jesus. And when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him. Not a soldier, not someone intimidating, but a servant girl. She saw him and she said to the bystanders, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied it with an oath. He said, I do not know the man. After a little while, the bystanders came up and they said to Peter, certainly you are one of them for your accent. It betrays you. And then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately at that point, the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly because he knew he made a promise to Jesus that he was not able to keep. He promised that he'd never leave him. He promised that he'd stand by him. And I don't think that Peter planned on making that mistake. I don't think that Peter saw himself in his future denying his friends, denying Jesus, denying his Saviour, denying the Messiah. I mean, he knew who Jesus was. And I don't think he ever looked into his future and he said, yes, there will come a day where I will deny him publicly. He never saw that, but it still happened. He never had aspirations to betray Jesus. And now Peter, this rock, this rock, remember the rock? The person on whom Jesus said, Peter, you are Peter, you are the rock. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And in that moment, Peter was excited. He said, I'll be with you to the end. I will die for you. I will go to prison for you. Everyone will fall away, but not me. I love you, Jesus. I will be there with you. But he wasn't. He wasn't with Jesus in those last moments, this person on whom the church was supposed to be built where the gates of hell will not prevail but I tell you something in that moment 
fear prevailed all over Peter and he denied Jesus to a little girl. And I was reading that and I was like, where was your conviction in that moment, Peter? Where were your guts then? You were all words when you had Jesus in front of you. You were all words when when He was standing there and everything was going well, but when things started to go not well, you just just left, you just ran, you, you, you ran away, you left Him. And I looked at this and I realized something that Peter, man, he's not alone. You see, you didn't plan to make some of the mistakes that you've made in your own life. You didn't plan to develop a pornography addiction, but it happened. You didn't plan to just disregard your parents' teaching, but then you were in high school and it was more important to be accepted than to listen to what people said. So you did whatever was necessary to get to that place. You didn't mean to get drunk, but next day someone had to tell you what you did last night because you couldn't even remember it. You never said you were gonna take drugs, but you did. You never said you were gonna do a lot of things, but you found yourself in the position where you were just doing all these things you never planned on doing. You never planned on feeling guilty. You never planned on any of those things, but they happened and they were in your life. You never planned on having a bad marriage. You never planned on having a a bad relationship with your spouse. You never planned on developing any of these addictions that you have now in your life. You never said you were gonna do any of that, but you did. You never said, I will pursue popularity at the cost of my integrity. Some of you grew up saying, I will, I will, you grew up in the church and you said, I will save my virginity for marriage. And that's what you planned, but it didn't happen. And the moment after these things begin to take place in your life, you're immediately filled with guilt because guilt is in the wake of your mistakes. You've planned a lot of things in your life. You never planned to abandon Jesus. You never planned to walk out on His teaching. But the truth is, and the reality is for so many of us in this room, that is exactly what we've done. And even the Apostle Paul said, the very thing that I do not want to do is the thing I keep on doing for I do what I do not want to do. He said, I'm trying so hard to do this thing right but I can't. And there are things in my life that I keep promising Jesus I'm gonna give up. I keep promising Jesus I'm gonna walk away from. I say that tomorrow is a new day and I will not sin in this way again, but I find myself on my knees full of guilt all over again. Every time I have to come into the presence of God. So I avoid church. I avoid Christian friends. I avoid those influences because at the end of the day, I don't wanna be feeling guilty about the things that I'm doing with my life. I didn't plan on this, but it's it happens. And I read this and I realize that so many of us have just let Jesus down. And if you are sitting there with your own internal tick box saying, well, I haven't done that and I haven't done that. The Bible says, that all have fallen short of the glory of God, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so it doesn't matter who you are today, 
The reality is, is that you have done things that you probably most definitely should not have done. Things that left you feeling guilty. Things that you regret. Things that you wish you could go back and change. But the truth is you can't. And I read this and I realize something. We are all Peter. I look at Peter and how he betrayed his Savior and I look at him, but I realize I'm Peter too because I'm not perfect. I'm a human being. I'm an expert on making mistakes and feeling guilty. I'm so good at doing that. I realize that and I tell you why, because no matter how right you might be, you have utterly failed Jesus. And the truth is you have an unpayable debt. It's unpayable and you can go back and you can try to pay for it. But seriously, how are you gonna do that? It's unpayable. Trying to make a decision tomorrow and saying to yourself, this is the last day I will ever make that mistake. I'm not gonna go and do those things again. I promise I'm not gonna sleep with my ex. I promise I'm not gonna go out and get drunk and not remember anything. I know you didn't mean to do that stuff, but sometimes we do those things to deal with the pain that we have inside of our hearts. And I know you didn't mean it, but the reality is for some people, this, this is their life and you can try to pay it back. But can I tell you ahead of time, you're gonna fail. I mean, honestly, your best attempts are like taking a water pistol to a bushfire and thinking that you're going to make a difference. And I promise you that you won't. And I think of Peter just here wanting to go back and change what he did. I think of Peter playing that video of his own actions and behavior back to him in the three days that followed after Jesus died on the cross when he had utterly betrayed his best friend, his savior, his Messiah, when he, when he betrayed him in that moment. I reckon there were so many times over those three days, I reckon he didn't sleep a wink. I think he was awake saying, I remember standing with my Savior and saying, I love him. I remember the good times. I remember walking and, and that time we went to the well and we were laughing and we were arm in arm. And I remember looking at him and saying, I would never leave you. And I promise that I will always make you proud of my behavior and my actions. I know I said so many things to him. And when the time mattered, when it counted, I betrayed him and I walked away. I reckon Peter played that movie to himself so many times about his own betrayal and said, I wish I could go back, but the truth is he couldn't do it. And what came next is a knock at the door. And it's Mary Magdalene. She says, you're not going to believe this. The Messiah, he has, been, he has come back to life. He's been resurrected. And they rush to see this resurrected Messiah. And some days later, Jesus and the disciples, just the disciples, they're in a room together and Jesus appears. It says He just comes into the room and He opens with these words. He says, peace. He says, peace to a room that is full of His friends that have betrayed Him. He says, peace to people that have walked away from Him. He says peace to the people that abandoned Him. He says peace. And Peter, the rock, the rock on whom His revelation, the church would be built, that the gates of hell would not prevail against. I see Him on that day feeling like 
Simon all over again. I see him on that day feeling like that pebble. He, I bet you he didn't see himself as a rock on that day. And Jesus comes to him and he says, Peter, it's okay. It had to happen. I know, I, I know that you said some things that you wish you didn't say, but it's okay. It had to happen. And I wonder if on that day, Peter thought back to Jesus's extreme teaching on forgiveness and thought about how crazy it was that Jesus would say, you just gotta keep forgiving and forgiving and forgiving. And at the time when He said it, He said, Jesus, you're crazy. No one could do that. But in that very moment, He realised that forgiveness was His greatest need. And He said, maybe for the first time, I am so thankful that you are so extremely forgiving, God. I am so thankful that your views on forgiveness are so extreme that you say you just keep forgiving and forgiving and forgiving. Because in that moment, Peter said, it sounded crazy at the time, but I need it. And I realised something about Peter. He's still not alone. Because in here, even tonight, We make plans all the time that fail. We say we're gonna do things, but we don't do them. We make Jesus promises. I'm gonna break that habit. I'm not getting back on the computer. I'm not gonna make those mistakes anymore. And we promise Him, this will be the end today. And by sheer guts and willpower, I will make a change in my life, but you will fail tomorrow. And in that moment, what will ensue you? We make mistakes with our marriages. We make mistakes with jobs and friendships and relationships and bosses and co-workers. We just make mistakes all of the time because we're human. That's what we do. And when that guilt is filling you up from the inside and you know that you are not where you're supposed to be with God, you have to ask yourself the question, What comes next? What comes next? How is Jesus going to respond to you in this moment? What will He do with your promises that you keep breaking to Him? I'll tell you what comes next. It is a tidal wave of grace that we call the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it is the most beautiful thing you will ever hear in your life. And it is a promise to you that when you come back to Him, no matter the mistakes that you've made, He says, I will forgive you. I will wipe your slate clean. And many of you, Even here tonight, you say, I grew up as a Christian. I broke these rules knowing I was breaking them. I I mean, I feel like, how can I go back to Him again for the same sins? And He says, you keep coming back and you keep saying you're sorry and I just keep forgiving you. The thing you need to understand about Jesus' extreme views on forgiveness is that He will always forgive you. This was His promise to you that He would take all of your sin and He would nail it to the cross. 
and He would forgive you for every wrong thing that you've ever done. And even today, you think back over your life this week and say, even now, what about tomorrow? He said, for all time, whatever you've done, I will forgive you. Oh, I love that He forgives you and He he doesn't just end it there. He says, I will forgive you, but He goes a step further and He says, I will restore you. I'm not... I'm not just going to forgive you. I will restore you. I will make you whole. I will give you a new future. I will transform your future. You keep saying sorry and you keep coming to me and my grace never runs out. It will continue to forgive you for every wrong thing that you've ever done. And the thing that I love most about this whole story of Peter's life is at the very end of his life, you know what he does? He comes back to Peter and he says to him, you're still my rock. After his friend completely betrayed him and he walked away from him. And I bet Peter was thinking, the way that I treated you, Jesus, the way that I've walked away from you, the way that I have betrayed your teachings over my lifetime, surely this has got to be the end of anything that you could do with me. And he takes Peter and he says, you're still my rock. You are still my rock. I will restore you. You've made mistakes. He says to you tonight, you're still my rock. I'm still gonna do something with your future. I know you messed up. I know you made mistakes, but I'm still gonna use you. I'm still gonna restore you. And you keep saying, I'm sorry. And you keep coming back and He says, we're gonna work through some stuff, but I'm gonna restore you and I'm gonna keep using you. You're still my rock. I feel like tonight there are people that are sitting in these seats right now. You've disqualified yourself from ministry because you're currently living in sin. Jesus says, repent, turn from your sins. I'm gonna restore you. You're still my rock. What about the prophetic words that have been spoken over my life that I totally messed up because of what I've been doing? Okay, fine, let's get real. You've made mistakes, cool. Let's deal with that and turn to Jesus. And guess what? You're still my rock. You're still my rock. I'm still gonna use you. The Bible says that God is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity. That is the guilt sin. That is the guilt that comes from sin is iniquity. He's slow to anger. So tonight, I feel like you may have made mistakes in your life. God says to you tonight, you're still my rock. I'm gonna do something with you. You come back to me and you let your heart turn to me. I'm going to do something with your future. Can we stand together tonight? We trust you enjoyed this week's message. For any more information about Activate Church, check out our website, www.activatechurch.com or download our app online and have a great week.